Friends podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy. Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you, so let's do this together. Not too long ago, I was talking with a friend who has recently undergone the sudden loss of a family member. Knowing my background in mental wellness advocacy, as well as my personal experiences with grief, she's often looked to me for support in this unexpected journey she's been placed on. As we chatted about grief and all its twists and turns, she brought up how loss has raised so many questions in her mind involving her faith, and gradually our conversation uncovered some key beliefs that were making it harder for her to grieve properly. We began to talk about how our personal understanding of truth informs how we look at all of life, including grief, and that whatever beliefs we bring into our loss will affect in one way or another how we interpret that loss and how God can change us through it. This recent interaction has gotten me thinking about the many ways in which this idea has manifested itself in my own past experiences with grief, as well as those I've observed with others. Sometimes, I don't think we take into account just how much our spiritual journey influences how we suffer and how we process loss. We assume that our faith will certainly bring us comfort and peace in our grief, but we are surprised when the grief itself challenges everything we've known or thought about God, ourselves, and life. We don't expect that our deepest beliefs will be tested and our greatest doubts unearthed in this process we call grief. But the fact is, unless we realize this and properly prepare in our lives outside of grief, we will find our values and our beliefs on the ropes when the waves of sorrow hit us. When loss visits us on any level, if we are not aware of the fact that it will expose and change and test and refine us in so many ways as we walk through it, we will be ill-prepared to learn from it what God desires and to grow for the better from the bereavement we have faced. In order to know how to grieve well, if there can be such a thing, one has to have the right starting points. Like any type of navigation, the compass has to be set correctly and pointed in the right direction, else the terrain will get the better of you and you will lose your way. The elements will prove too strong, and your inexperience will come to light quickly. You will endanger not only yourself and those you travel with, but also jeopardize whatever mission or adventure you set out on. As Watts Humphrey once noted, if you don't know where you are, a map won't help. In much the same way, your key beliefs, or starting points, inform how you walk into times of trial and suffering. Whatever basic truths you hold, whether true or false, will determine where you end up as you walk the uncertain territory of loss. For example, let's say that a core belief of yours is that God doesn't really love you, that God is after you to punish you in some way, that he doesn't have your best interest in mind, or that he hates you as a person for some particular reason. Then when grief or loss hits you, 
you will project that belief onto your situation and determine that it is yet another proof of God's disdain towards you. Author A.W. Pink emphasized that Christ didn't die in order to cause God to love us, but rather as proof that God loved us already. Whenever you are tempted to doubt the love of God, he wrote, go back to Calvary. In much the same way C.S. Lewis agreed, God loved us not because we are lovable, but because he is love. Puritan John Owen went so far as to say, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay upon the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. If you are to correctly view your grief and understand how to befriend it, you have to see it through the eyes of a loving father, a father whose own son wept at the tomb of Lazarus and shared compassionately in the sorrows of others. That's the Jesus who gave his life for yours. So to say that he has wronged you and doesn't love you because this loss happened is to miss the very heart of who God is and what he's about. Another example might be, if you believe that bad things should never happen to good people, you will find yourself startled by suffering when it arrives. You will struggle when trials come because you didn't expect them to happen to you. If you never learn to anticipate and expect trouble to occur at some time in your life, you'll always resent difficulties when they arise, and especially where loss is involved, you'll take it not as a given factor of life, but an unfair incident that could have or should have been avoided. Early on in my personal journey with grief and suffering, this was an assumption I brought into the situation, and it skewed my perspective on what God was after in the situation for a very long time. It seeded much anger and doubt as I kept on wondering what I or my family or others around me had done to deserve this kind of pain. Perhaps you've asked the same thing. But the fact is, bad things happen even to bad people. Bad things happen in a broken, fallen world. Period. Because of the existence of sin and evil, things that seem unfair and unreasonable occur all the time. And it's only the existence of God and His redemptive plan in that suffering that makes it somehow worthwhile and meaningful, that gives us a reason to go through things and come out the other side better people. Harold Kushner in his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, writes, We can't pray that God will make our lives free of problems. This won't happen, and it is probably just as well. We can't ask him to make us and those we love immune to diseases. We can't ask him to weave a magic spell around us so that bad things will only happen to other people and never to us. People who pray for miracles usually don't get miracles, but people who pray for courage, for strength to bear the unbearable, for grace to remember what they have left instead of what they have lost, very often find their prayer answered. As Ann Voskamp puts it, buy the lie that your life is supposed to be heaven on earth and suffering can be torturous hell. But life is suffering, and suffering is but the cross we bear, part of earth's topography on our way to heaven. Suffering doesn't mean you're cursed. It means you're human. The question isn't, why is there suffering in my life? But why wouldn't there be suffering? Because such is life in a broken world. The question is, what way will you bear your suffering? Life is never made unbearable by the road itself, but by the way we bear the road. It's not the hard roads that slay us, 
What actually slays us is the expectation that this road isn't what we hoped it to be. If you believe that loss is something you're just supposed to get over, then you will find it difficult to accept when you are still dealing with the emotions of your loss sometime later. This is a common assumption many bring into their grief because our culture has taught us that grief has a limitation, that it can only last a certain while and be expressed in certain ways at certain times, and that suddenly, after you've said your goodbyes and buried your loved one, that life will keep on gradually returning to normal and you will get over how you feel. The truth is, ask any person who has grieved a devastating loss and they will tell you that's not reality. Reality looks more like days of curling up on the floor with a tissue box, months after the death has happened, and still asking yourself why. Reality looks like moments of anger and unanswered questions. It looks like doubt as loss raises fears and uncertainty of what the future now holds. It looks like denial as you find yourself months or years afterward still refusing on some level to believe that your loved one is gone. You don't just get over grief. I learned that lesson the hard way. Rather, you actually grow into it. Getting over loss implies that suddenly life can just go back to normal as it was beforehand. Truth is, it can't. Someone dear is gone, and you're now stuck figuring out how to move forward without them. No, grief isn't something you get over. Rather, you learn how to wear it better. You figure out how to carry it forward with you in a way that honors the deceased and still keeps them a part of your life. You find a new normal, and that takes time. You walk your own road and process it all in your own time and your own way, until one day you feel as though life has started to find some hope again. Being realistic about how long or how intense the grieving journey will be is crucial to processing it well and making peace with its presence in your life. If you believe that grieving is a sin, then you will take upon yourself unnecessary guilt and shame as the sadness runs its course. I actually had someone talk to me who was struggling with this exact assumption and was wrestling with the fact that to grieve felt or somehow seemed wrong. They expressed that they had a hard time leaning into their journey through loss because they thought that grief fell under the category of temptation and that giving into it was sinful. I went on to explain to them that grief itself is never the enemy or the problem. Our response to the grief is where it's really at. We don't have to be afraid of the sadness or the pain because that is a natural part of navigating loss. And all through the Bible you see examples of people expressing great emotion at the loss of someone dear. God makes allowance for this and says God can't tempt you or cause you to sin. This means God wouldn't display such stories for you to learn from if grief fell under the category of sin. The issue of temptation comes when we allow how we feel about the loss to lead us away from God, to foster doubts about His love or His care, to resent Him for somehow not preventing this tragedy from happening. It is our response to the loss in front of us that determines whether we sin in our grief or we let the grief drive out the sin in us. It's completely unnecessary to saddle yourself with added guilt and shame for walking through the valley of the shadow and expressing natural feelings that accompany grief just because you're somehow telling yourself that it's wrong to feel this way and grief must be stifled like sin. Be gentle with yourself. 
Grief itself is never at fault. Only our perception and how we choose is. Still, another example might be, if you believe that God is not fair or just, that he can make mistakes and do wrong, you will probably end up blaming him for your loss rather than accepting that terrible things, loss included, are a part of life, that living in a broken world means some things just happen, and that God is always right in what he ordains and allows, even the painful things. As strange and confusing as it may seem from a human perspective, God knows what he's up to at all times. As the old hymn says so well, Whate'er my God ordains is right, his holy will abideth. I will be still, whate'er he doth, and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me, that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. If you have convinced yourself that God has the capacity to blow it and mess things up, you'll miss a lot of what he wants to do in your life through loss. To see him for who he really is, and to understand more fully yourself and have your misconceptions exposed, then a certain amount of acceptance has to accompany the grief. On some level, you have to trust and dare to believe that God will work even this for good, however difficult it may seem at the moment, to comprehend or believe that. Faith must play a large role in the grieving process, trusting the heart of God even when the movement of his hand appears hidden. There are aspects of loss that are inexplainable and confusing. That's a given fact. And for as many times as you ask God for clarity and answers, you may not ever get what you want in that regard. And you have to be willing to trust him even then. If you can't surrender to his will in the loss then you will struggle to move forward and heal as needed. Closely tied to the last point, if you believe that God isn't good or that he's capable of failing you in some way, you will have a hard time seeing how he can turn your loss into something redemptive and right. Sadly, many Christians interpret Romans 8.28 to mean that only good things should happen to God's people and that all things work together means everything falls into place easily all the time and God should always give you a smooth path to the places you're meant to go. Realistically, though, this isn't actual life. Real life is finding out that all things work together for good actually means that God will spin good out of all our trials. Not because we deserve it on some level, but because goodness is his nature. He can't not be good. It's who he is. While grieving a loss when so much of life feels shaken and it's easy to forget the provision and protection of God, it is important to rehearse your history with him. Go back and call to mind all the times when he was faithful, when he came through for you. Because God always does. Even when it doesn't look like how you'd expect, he still shows up. Understanding the attributes and character of God getting it into your mind that he always turns the hardships into healing and that he has never failed his own ever. That carries you through the raging seas of doubt and suffering. That gives you hope because you can tell yourself that God will reveal himself to you somehow in this dark place. Even as the pain closes in and it feels like nobody can reach you here, God still can, and he will. In your worst moments, it is possible to see God and to see him as never before. 
because God delights in making himself known to us in the times and spaces where we least expect him to be. Of course, I could continue to spell out more examples of various false theological beliefs and ideas that we can bring into our grief and their subsequent impact on how we walk through it, but suffice it to say, our core assumptions and beliefs do inform how we suffer, how we grieve. Starting points matter. They do. If you listened to my previous episode, Root to Fruit, How Your Thought Life Affects Your Mental Health, you'll recall me extensively explaining how our physical brains are conditioned to look for evidence that supports what we most frequently think about and believe. Whether it be true or false, what we reflect on and tell ourselves the most will end up being the very things we look for evidence to support. We literally become what we dwell on the most, which means that we need to be intentional in thinking about what we think about. We need to identify our starting points and match them up against the truth so that when grief strikes, we know where to turn. We know who to trust. We know how to frame our grief in a way that honors God instead of causes our hearts to harden. And it's always best if we do this in times of relative peace and prosperity, because in the phase of great loss, we often revert back to our deepest seated insecurities and fears. Grief brings to the surface things long hidden. So if we've gotten into the habit of bringing out into the open the lives we've told ourselves about God, about suffering, about ourselves, we will know what to look for and how to properly look at and befriend our grief when it comes, because it inevitably will. If you find yourself walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you're struggling to accept the grieving process, perhaps you need to go back to the core beliefs you hold about the nature of God and his relationship to loss. Perhaps you need to reevaluate why you think what you think about your grief and to honestly ask yourself if what you believed about grief and loss could be wrong. Such self-searching and soul-testing could reveal things that entirely change how you grieve going forward and open your heart to the work of God in the midst of your pain. Identifying your starting points will always determine whether your compass is set correctly and you end up where you wanted to go in the first place, or the journey of loss gets the better of you. Remember that whatever beliefs you bring into that loss will affect how you interpret it and what God can do inside of you through it. So make sure that your personal theology is correctly informing how you grieve. And if not, don't be afraid to confront the false ideas and reframe your perspective. Nobody ever wants to come face to face with grief. Nobody. But the truth is, everybody does. So why not go into it with the right starting point so that loss becomes a conveyance into a greater strength, a deeper purpose, rather than a detour that leads you far from your appointed destination. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www graceopens.blogspot.com You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at OpenToGrace2015 Instagram and Parlor at OpenToGraceAlaska and on MeWe under my name, Catherine Singer I'll see you in the next episode and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are Music